Warning, Supernatural The Crossroads contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Everybody to Supernatural The Crossroads. New year, new us in some ways. I'm your host, Thomas Cowley. Joined with me today is Michael Flores. New attitude. New well, attitude. I don't take shit from no one. 2019. <laughs> I'm going to knock a motherfucker out. And unfortunately, no, Ryan, he is out of town. It's because I knocked a motherfucker out. Like a bitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> you knocked him out like a bitch, right? Oh. That's right. what I'm saying. But it is a new year. A few things have changed already for us. So just a heads up for everybody out there, we are no longer going to be using the Rain Man digital app. Or F words. (laughs) You're fucking right. (laughs) Uh, The app will be discontinued. But if you like those live show notifications, do not fret. You can now text RMD69 to 50597 and receive standard text messages whenever a live Rain Man show uh, is about to start, along with a link to where you can easily listen live from any mobile device. That's Android, Google, or uh, Apple, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Windows. Is that that still a phone? Yeah, it is. Come on, Thomas. (laughs) Jesus. But you guys will have that option now, so do not try to use the Rain Man digital app any longer as it is defunct. But you can get it all personalized because we want to be in your po- in your pants pocket at all times. Wow. That's how I look at it. But keep us on vibrate. Yeah. <laughs> and keep us close to the crotchal region. Well, otherwise, and how will you know? Only, it will also be exciting. Ooh. Oh, well, there's a new show. Yeah, you want to attach a feel-good feeling to our show. <laughs> Subconsciously, you won't understand, but you will be aroused every time you, you listen go. to a Crossroads That's episode. really the goal is yeah. arouse every listener. A- arousal. <laughs> that, that's that's why we do this yep it's a good start to the year right so with that we are going to be discussing supernatural season 14 episode 10 the mid-season premiere nihilism and holy shit just saying that right out the gate talk about a mid-season premiere amanda tapping as the director written by steve yaki the, the he has done phenomenal in the time he has been writing on this show, he has definitely been one to watch with his episodes. They, they've always tapped into old stuff from Supernatural, really captured the vibe. Him and Davey Perez, perhaps more than some of the other writers, the, the newer ones, mm, really yeah. getting into what always made Supernatural what it is. That's not to say other ones haven't done a good job. Like Meredith Glynn has clearly grown into her own over the last couple of episodes. For sure. To be somebody we always appreciate. 
But from the gate, you know, these two had done their research, it seemed. And in this episode, it all feels like it came together. We pick up immediately where we left off, and it doesn't hold back until the end. It really did feel like a true premiere. This this is what I was waiting for. This is what I'm excited about when I watch the show. The The wait over the winter break all feels worth it when you have these emotions, you have the suspense, you have world building and we're foreshadowing. Just all up. We're just all backed up. I'm and, pent and, up. And we need, yes, we need a release. And, this, and hence the vibrations. Uh, and this, we're trying to help people out. <laughs> uh, but no, Thomas, you're right. This premiere just delivered. This is supernatural at its best. And um, it got I, us off. It really did because I got chills numerous times throughout the episode. And I get, I call them nerd chills. We're like, ooh. That is good. I like that. And there was it, it was such a great mixture of emotion, and there's even some some funny moments as well. I, I mean, how do you manage to balance such an emotional, emotionally draining episode and put some humor in that? Well, Yoki and uh, Tapping did did just that. Yeah, they and, found that balance, and it had so many new concepts, but that all felt like they fit nothing nothing felt out of place at least to us i think in this episode you know having dean trap michael within his own mind was brilliant in some ways very clever and brought a new weapon to the table for something that had been previously seemed to be the the only fear that they had is that if an angel got you know got in let the right one in kind of thing yeah it'd be all over but this solution also kind of works with what sam did to lucifer back in season five's finale it makes sense for what john winchester did to azazel yellow eyes way back in the season finale season one this idea that the human mind can contain these entities with like psychic barriers like like your own personal mental mantra was fucking cool and doesn't break any of the previously established lore we have the foreshadowing of of something we talked about at the beginning of season 13, and that is perhaps the darkness that lies within Jack if he's not careful with this Star Wars Anakin Skywalker foreshadowing of what will happen if he burns off too much of his soul. What is the consequence for that with this chosen one level of power, the seeds of doubt being placed in his mind by Michael it all feels very Anakin episode three throughout this. And all of that could make some to lead could lead to some very tragic, very poor decisions. Yeah. I mean, if Cassiel's talking to him and Jack's like, Oh, it'll never happen again. I'm like, you liar. You're full of shit. (laughs) But it's, it's good foreshadowing. It doesn't feel forced. And because of that aspect, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jack for a number of reasons not only from news we've gotten from Michael's role in this season, but where we could be going. Well, because it definitely feels like they are working on something, something big. bigger. Because with Jack for the first half of the season was more about him dealing and struggling with his powers. And that's why I love what they're doing with him specifically because they built it up. They built that issue. They built the insecurity, the helplessness, the the need to want to do and be involved and contribute mm-hmm. to the group, right? Right. That was a struggle for the first half. Now, what we're going to get into in the second half is obviously him 
continuing that struggle, but we may be looking at potential episodes where we're delving into areas that Jack is is dabbling in dangerous areas that may end very badly for him and the rest of the world because of that need to contribute because he is naive mm-hmm. he, and of course the manipulation that Michael was doing this episode it, well not just it, his it put him on that track even more not just that but the the almost you know Stephen King's pet cemetery concept of what should you let stay dead and what are the consequences of bringing something or someone back. Yeah. So we'll get into that a little bit, but we also got some huge elements to the lore for Chuck and God that were completely fleshed out or, or Love it. answered that stuff that we've been asking questions about for a while. Now we had Billy, the Reaper or death, her premonition, her warning coming to a head in this episode, all tying back to things that we've had questions about or desperately wanted to come back into play happened in this episode. So it's it had a shit ton of stuff. So we're going to get into that. Rhiannon in the chat room says, I'll be hella pissed if they make Jack the big bad. Mm. Hey, you know what? You never know. <laughs> I would be hella pissed too, but in a good way. Right. Because we love It'd that. It'd be tragic. Yes. And we've been saying this for what a year and a half now. A year and that a half now. This has got, has got to be the direction. It the Star Wars references were too on the nose. Yeah, and it's, as long as it's handled delicately, which so far so good. So far, I will be okay with that. As long as in the end it ends well for him. But I also, we got to be careful, and we're going to get into that later mm-hmm. in the show because there's you run the risk of kind of regurgitating past narrative or, moments like with Castiel and him tr- and yeah. the fact that he was trying to do the right thing and he ends up becoming this new diseased uh, Leviathan y- God. Yeah. Or so. maybe it's just, we just cry several man tears. Yeah. You never know. Uh, but of course we've got some news first. The biggest of which has been Jeffrey Dean Morgan's spoiler return for Wait, the, he's coming back <gasps> for the 300th episode of Thomas, Supernatural. Why didn't you, um, I said spoiler. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Like All really right. quick and you had no time to pause it, but I said spoiler. Good job. From There's a bunch of people cursing at you right I'm now. I'm sure there are, but if they haven't seen it already, I apologize. Comicbook.com has a little bit of a description of what we can expect with this 300th episode. It's a big deal. It's a huge milestone for the show. And to celebrate it, they have decided to bring back Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character, John Winchester. Now, the... Showrunners have talked a little bit about this. We've touched on it before. Uh, Robert Singer said the 100th episode was just an episode. It wasn't anything that they put a lot of thought into. It was just that was the number. We're was, still telling a story. It was just an episode, right? It, yeah. It was a milestone, but that's, you know, the story was the bigger thing, not the number they right. hit. He says the 200th episode was so special. It was bold and great. We knew we weren't necessarily going to top that. So we said, what would make the fans happy? What would they like to see? Bringing John back. Dean naked. <laughs> hey guys, for the 300th episode, Dean will be naked, full, full nude, frontal, and we'll take we'll take the uh, we'll take the television censor board's fees <laughs> or fines. We'll gladly pay the 1.5 million, and um, we'll make waves. Full and nudity. We'll make a bunch of waves within the press. Jesus, Could you, that'll be the 400th TV episode. shows have done that. Oh, I know. Not nudity, but they have done that with things that are not allowed to be on television. And because they felt like it would be such a great moment for the show, they just took the fine. South Park when they had shit. Yeah. Throughout the whole episode. Yeah. 
So, so I'm I'm a, I'm an advocate for some nudity. The 400th episode will be Sam and Dean and Cass all nude. Okay. The entire episode. As long as it's relevant to the story, I could get behind They go it. to a different dimension where clothes just evaporate. They don't exist. Yes. Clothes don't exist. And just whoosh the second they get there. Called the nude world? Yeah. yeah. Everyone's hard. What? Wow. Well, if everyone's <laughs> nude all the time and as good looking as those three. There you go. Yeah. That solves that. So write yeah. that down, everybody. Please. Uh, so he says, so we sort of built the idea around yeah, that. Yeah, writing it down right now. This is good stuff. <laughs> This is good stuff. These perverts may be making fun of me, but they got some ideas. I like these guys. <laughs> so his episode is going to be the Lebanon one, talking about them living in that town and what it has to do with their day-to-day and what people think of them. Uh, Andrew Dabb says the 300th episode is in a lot of ways for Sam and Dean about home. You're dealing with two guys who, when the story started and for the bulk of our show, never had a home. It was motel rooms and the Impala, and they'd have a place to stay for a few weeks or maybe a few months at a time, but that's pretty much it. Now, Sam and Dean have a home, they have a family, and they have Lebanon, and that's really where the idea started. Like, okay, what does this town of Lebanon think of these guys? And conversely, what do Sam and Dean think of the town? And then when the idea of Jeffrey Dean Morgan was floating, it was great, because not only was it awesome to have him back for a number of different reasons— But it's thematically consistent because suddenly it's about home. It's about family. It's about having that family dinner coming home in more in a more emotional way. Now, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago. The idea that they were saying, well, we can't top it. So let's just bring Jeffrey Dean Morgan back did feel really disingenuous. Like they're like, eh, fuck it. But I do like this description a lot more because – the show we there's have more always clarification said, on the plan. Yes. Yeah. I it agree. sounds like there's a plan. We said before it can't just be Jeffrey Dean Morgan shows up for like, hey kids. All right then. Put your hands together for Negan <laughs> and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh. Yeah, and just walk away and that was it. Yeah. So the fact that they're focusing on keeping it thematically to the idea of family, which has, as we said, always been the the pillar, the foundation of this show, that feels a lot more genuine it feels a lot more true to the show yeah and, and honestly it's exciting a, more and not just a gimmick yes because i'm okay with gimmicks but those gimmicks need to mean a lot with a show like supernatural and how picky we are as supernatural fans because we're dealing with a show that we've been watching for 14 years or some of us just binge watching 14 seasons there's a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of commitment there and we care we truly care what you do with these characters uh, and we don't want it to be watered down just so right. you can have a, a rating spike for one fucking week. Exactly. That in the grand scheme of things doesn't mean dick. Exactly. So if you want that rating spike, fine. You got to earn it, though. That's fine, but let's make sure it matters and is truly, truly relevant. So when I read this article, I, I fell at ease that they are sticking to, yes, the plan of action to create some excitement, create some waves, but also, hey, guys, this is supernatural. It's all about family. We're going to stick to that for the 300th episode. And honestly, I feel really good about it and I'm a lot more excited and pumped for it. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing too is that it they're not just doing it for fan service. It sounds like they've put some thought into how is this going to play out? Because uh, Dab goes on to say, the way you react to your dad when you're 25 is much different than the way you react to that person when you're 40. Yeah, I the hate fa- my dad now. <laughs> I loved him when I was in my 20s and 30s. The fact that the guys were older now and could have some different reactions to John was what made it exciting because they're not going to have the same conversations that they had in seasons one and two. 
Uh, ultimately, the episode will give the Winchester men the closure that they've been seeking for nearly 12 years. This might be a little spoilery, but I don't know. want closure, though. See, that's the only thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't want closure. But that's ominous. I'm wondering if this is it that they're going. Oh, man. You're talking overall. And yes, for Jeffrey D. Morgan. I mean, yeah. like, like he's not coming back even for the final episodes because that's like, this what, would be it. And I know for our own personal fan wants, that's always what we've wanted. Yeah. Like for him to come back at the end. But honestly, I'm willing to. I don't need to be a stickler for what I want. If this feels awesome and it brings a tear to your eye and it just feels very sincere, then I'm okay with this being the final send off for John Winchester, but it has to be perfect. It has to be. be. If it's not an a triple plus episode from us. So, cause he, he said, Dab speaks to that very point, Mike. He says, they finally get some closure with their father in a way that doesn't feel like the end of the show. It's not like, and now roll credits, we'll never see you again. It feels like it allows these guys to put some, if not all, of their 14-year baggage down and move on into the future, maybe with some new knowledge, maybe a little bit more unencumbered. Because of uh, because if we had just brought him back and had been like, and then they go hunt a demon together, it wouldn't have been satisfying. I do like these sentiments. This does sound like they're on the right track, but I agree with you. The fan that is me doesn't want him to only show up for this. He needs to be there for like the final episode. Is that is okay. Is that me being a fan and being being needy? You're being a fan baby. Yeah. You're being a bit of baby, a bit of a baby, but I understand. I fully admit it. I I fully admit it, but I get it. And I, cause I'm on, I'm in the same boat because we've always, I think it's because it's been on so long. We've always imagined that's how it would be. Like I said, and if it doesn't, it's not our show. We're not writing it. So as long as it feels great and it, it, and it works, then I'm okay with it. Yeah. I think that's the thing is that it it has to do phenomenally because if they, if they mishandle this, then it'll always sting a little. They got to hit all walls with this episode. <laughs> they got to hit all walls. Yeah, all walls. <laughs> nice and deep. Yeah. Some good rhythm, it's too. Gotta be, it's it's got to be a girthy episode in order for it to <laughs> work. Oh, Jesus. So, separately from that, guys, you can get more Supernatural The Crossroads every month with the Patreon-exclusive shows. Retrospective shows starting with the very first season, specialty shows, bonus discussions with additional thoughts and topics like how girthy is an episode, Hmm. (laughs) and topics not included in our regular show. By subscribing, you help us maintain the quality of our show, and it keeps us in the studio, allowing us to do a lot more for all of you. Yeah. So head on over to patreon.com slash Digital and subscribe. And with that, we're going to take a quick little break. We're going to get into our discussion of episode 10, Nihilism, in just a minute. I rode into town today. In my mind, I said, Lord, I love stay. Impossible odds. Walking right into a trap. Feels like home. Michael Conway, they're trapped and drowning inside my own body. I own you. He's out there hurting people. His name, it's real. I have Sam locked away in a dream. Say Poughkeepsie. Drop Goldwood. We just drop everything and run. Get out. I know this must be so hard without your grace. Jack! Please don't be sad. Maybe this is how things are supposed to be. He's gone. There's you, Jack. 
my magic draws power from human soul, it could save him. If Jack is in heaven, I might be able to pull his soul into his body. <laughs> With the spear still in play, could be a shot at actually killing the son of a bitch. When I gave up, Dean, you didn't think the question. This time, he is scary. And now, I have a whole army out there ready for my command. The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. Hey, Thomas, Raina in the Invasion Force is asking where she can listen to the show because the app's not working. Is she new? <laughs> Oh, mean. Is Raina new? No, like, she knows better. She, she wants to be inducted into the super fan, the Rain Man super fan. Well, I think fan. she's just literally just, that's her no. But, but I've literally told people, like for the past, what, month now, that the yeah. app is no longer going to be a thing. To go where? The website. And? You can also get on uh, Stitcher and iTunes and all that. Oh, not live, live, not live. Tune Blog in. T- tune in. Tune in. Blog talk? No, that's an old one. That's an old I'm one. giving Easy. shit to Raina, and the actual co-host of the show still doesn't know. Well, hold on, hold on. I hold on. just go to Blog What's Talk Radio. What's the website again? We haven't used Blog Talk <laughs> in five years. <laughs> For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open Sesame! And some of the fundamentals in Calypso touch to some of the some of the most classic Star Trek stories of all time. AI, AI relationship between AI and human, or AI and a, and a thinking being. Oh, just slow down, David. You analyzing and finding the the real artistic merits within this episode and calling it full-on Star Trek? Shame on you, Dave. You should be complaining like everyone else who obviously don't understand the very fandom they claim to be a part of. All they want to see is Spock and Kirk. I want to see phasers fire! (laughs) Proton torpedoes! You're not doing the hand gesture right. Oh, come here, Dan Troy. I want to touch your communicator. (laughs) Can you put one on your right side, too? (laughs) Just got to play the drums. (laughs) Star Trek from the Holodeck, exclusively on Rain Man Digital. End simulation. The Crossroads video cast is here. Retrospective reviews, discussions, theories, and geek out. All available when you pledge $10 or more a month to our Patreon account. Same show, just more of it. Head over to patreon.com slash Digital to play. Here's the thing, um, Chuck. And I mean no disrespect. Um, I'm guessing you came back to help with the darkness. And that's great. That's, you know, it's fantastic. Um, but you've been gone a, a long, long time. And there's so much crap that has gone down on the earth for thousands of years. I mean, plagues and wars, slaughters. And you were... I don't know, writing books? Going to fan conventions? Were you even aware, or did you just tune it out? I was aware, Dean, but you did nothing. 
And again, I'm, I'm not trying to piss you off. I don't want to turn into a pillar of salt. I actually I didn't do that. Okay. People, people pray to you. People build churches for you. They fight wars in your name, and you did nothing. You're frustrated. I get it. Believe me, I was hands-on. Real hands-on for, wow, ages. I was so sure if I kept stepping in, teaching, punishing, these beautiful creatures that I created would grow up. But it only stayed the same. And I saw that I needed to step away. Let my baby find its way. Being over involved is no longer parenting. It's enabling. It's getting better. Well, I've been mulling it over. And from where I sit, I think it has. Previously on Supernatural The Crossroads. Yeah, now, now because of the walking dead such a twist of fate shame yeah to a lot of us yeah. but you know it, it's the business it is what it is so andrew dab went on to say we're incredibly excited to have jeffrey back for this milestone episode and think fans will love what we have planned for his character and a few other surprise guest stars now here's something i'm not sure if this is the the article mm-hmm. but if consider if you listen to our pre-show right says executive producer andrew dab oh <laughs> hey guys i'm still doing facetime okay i'm still here to promote the show Be- barry, showrunner. i'm showrunner uh-huh why does it say executive producer i still collecting the check Someone else is writing the show. But are you doing the work? Uh, when you say work, do you mean like feeding my face? No, that's that's not work. That's just disgusting. Listen to the pre-show if you if you want to know yeah. why we're even talking about this. Yeah, but I, I wanted to make a note of that. <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be something similar to that? I can't imagine them bringing Jeffrey Dean Morgan in for three seconds to say... What's up, boys? Yeah. <laughs> Just like, that's it. And that's why I'm... Mary, are you very... fucking Bobby? I see what you're doing over there, Bobby. <laughs> Who the fuck are you anyway? You're... What the fuck is AU, Bobby? What is that shit? Yeah. Just blasting with a cold. Ten... I'm gone for 10 years and this shit happens? <laughs> fucking alternate reality versions of my best buddy? Fucking my wife? I fucking lived 30 fucking years of misery trying to save your soul, goddammit. <laughs> and you repay me by fucking my fake best friend? Oh, that's some shit when you think about it that way. But yeah. You better watch out, man. He's vegan now. Oh. Welcome back, everybody. Now we're getting into the discussion of episode 10, Nihilism. Directed by Amanda Tapping, written by Steve Yoki. The synopsis is Sam and Castiel travel into Dean's mind to help him regain control while they have Michael captured. Meanwhile, Jack and the Hunters from Apocalypse World contend with Michael's monster army descending on the bunker. Now, Amanda Tapping has directed a few episodes at this point now. The Future, Various and Sundry Villains, A Most Holy Man, and Nihilism. And from just this episode... we retcon A Most Holy Man? uh, Another episode that seems to be lost to time... And nihilism. Well, 
to be fair, she definitely redeemed herself. Oh yeah, well with this episode. Yeah, and yeah. again, I mean, she didn't you, write the other you one. You can only direct so much based I want on a, you on a to, shoddy script. My so. script is just feces for an hour. <laughs> so whatever you can do with that would be real great. Thanks. I bought some hand sanitizer. <laughs> Man, we're mean. Yeah, anyway, that's all, right. all right. But Steve Yoki has made quite a name for himself as a writer, starting with season 12, celebrating the life of Asa Fox. Dude, he's getting so good. Lily Sunder has some regrets. Twigs and Twine and Tasha Baines, one of my fucking yep. darkest favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Advanced Thanatology, various and sundry villains, Funeralia, Optimism, and now Nihilism. And that's a good body of work, right? That's a good right body of work. The just, weakest. What, two short years? Two short years. Two and, and a... Ooh, no, yeah, two. Two seasons. And look at them. Damn. Yeah. The weakest of which are still fun episodes. Yeah. That's, oh, for sure, yeah. That's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Now, I, let, let's start with the thing that got me probably the most excited because I watched this scene twice. We just got to jump into Dude, it. Dude, we're just going to go whole hog right into it. Yeah. The biggest lore moment of the fucking year... It's only January so far. So, was the explanation behind Chuck and God why he does what he's doing and how that works essentially? For the last couple of years, we have debated and speculated and done multiple episodes on this, and people have talked about it on forums about how the alternate realities play into God's role in the universe since they were introduced in season 13 about a year ago. Mm hmm. The question came about, does Chuck control just prime Earth that we know of, or is he the god of all these other multiverses as well? If he's the god of those, is that where he disappears to when the angels and whomever says God's gone, he left the building kind of thing that no one could find him? Has he been traveling through different universes? Were these the places that he created that he referred to when Amara would come in and destroy what he created, kick down his sandcastle, if you will. Essentially, he said as much to Metatron in eleven season 11, episode 20. But now we kind of have some actual concrete ideas. Michael has said that that's the case, that he is the god of all these realities, that he created each one over time has created these other worlds and then just kind of abandons them. Well, I think it's safe to assume that's exactly what these alternate realities are because they did go into that during season 11 where Amara was blamed for destroying his creations and, and then he would have to start from scratch essentially. Right. So I'm fairly certain that is the clarification that we got this week in this past episode. It's he is the God of all these worlds. And, and that's something that we, we wanted to know the hierarchy and like, what is going on? How does this all work? And they gave us that clarification, much needed clarification, much needed clarification, but it also, it makes him seem so much more powerful than he even felt in season 11. I feel. And I think that's a smart move because with Mm -hmm. all of these new entities and concepts, concepts, Chuck starts to lose something like, Oh, he's not that powerful because this guy can do this. So by stating that he is unique, that he's not a duplicate like angels and even like what we found out this week with with death and the Reapers, Mm -hmm. that he is unique, that gives something back to him. It it 
strengthens his importance in the world of supernatural. And that needed to happen because of all these new elements of lore that has been introduced. Right. And it's not, not only does it do that, but it also ties in on a very meta level to what we knew about Chuck from way back to season four. Knowing what kind of person he is deliberately helps make Michael's case for why he's so angry. Something you said last show with the midseason finale was wanting to know what Michael wanted. Yeah. You know, it's it's fine that he wants to burn everything. That's all well and good. But the reason as to why Dual had to be established. narratives? What, <gasps> Thomas? What? Fucking what? Explanations that actually matter to the immediate narrative as well as introducing new concepts of lore. What? Tiebacks to the original Kripke era storyline. What? <sighs> it's so good, Such- man. Because it really <laughs> did. We're being facetious here. I know. A little condescending, but. I'll fall on condescending, but it's awesome because it works and it, it helps. It really does work because they made that explanation of Chuck God matter to one of our villains of the year. And that's something that we questioned. I don't want to say it's a problem, but we did hope that Michael had a purpose. He had a reason why he's doing these things because we already had that version of a villain back in season 12 when Lucifer was just doing things because he didn't know what to do. He He was was on his own nihilistic kick. Yeah. So by attaching an emotional reason to Michael's purpose, it fits the overall theme of supernatural. That's the biggest thing. It ties in. It makes, it makes Michael in season 13 was just this angry dickhead. And we didn't really know why other than he was a dick. But with his reasoning behind it revealed in season 14 in this episode, it makes it all feel cohesive. In our prime universe, Lucifer was the one who had daddy issues and wanted to know why, and Michael was the good son. In this apocalypse universe, Michael had more of a fucking ill will towards his father and wanted to know why. And that speech he gave was fucking great. And I loved how much disdain he had when he explained it to castiel that hatred like he's a writer like this this limey fuck yeah (laughs) well it came off very like how a lot of warrior types feel about academics yes it's like wait you're telling me you control this god is a writer it was it was filled with disdain and it kind of fueled resentment yes it fueled his resentment and it worked too because then from a meta storytelling perspective chuck being the writer in season four worked it was brilliant move by kripke to have the creator figure be a god and have it all come to play it was risky it was risky as shit but it worked it works again in season 11 because he's this writer who's trying to get it right and he keeps and amara is changing and he's oh i tried this it didn't work and when he talked about revisions and his experiments fucking up we thought he meant specifically just the universe that we knew of at that time. But Michael taking it a step further that each one of these different realities is a different draft, a different version of him writing the same story, trying to get it right and getting bored and moving on and throwing it away, not realizing the lives that the the people that are stuck in that, that he doesn't seem to have the same regard for. That's, you know, spoilers for the novels. That's very Dark Tower, Stephen King, liter- literature and storytelling as 
fictional narrative, mm-hmm. its own universe. All of that is is brilliant. And not only does it work in its own regard with season 13 now, but it works to all the stuff Kripke created and brought intro- into the story with season four and five. Yeah. that. How do you do that 10 years later and pull it off? Yeah. That was brilliant. And it also gives us a clue as to why Michael, or not even a clue, it tells us why Michael is so angry about it because not only that imagine imagine the resentment you feel that you're waiting for god come back right yeah and you do everything you're being that dutiful son that we always talk about that's such an archetype in the show yep and your father couldn't care less can't care less about you but rather spend time with these lowly winchesters these gnats that is why he's so angry towards the Winchester specifically, because one, you realize his whole attitude changed towards them before it was like, hey, I have to do this. I'm going to take over your world. It's just because I'm a right. warrior. It's what I do. Now it's personal. This is now he knows because when he took over Dean's body, he was privy to all that information. And imagine how he felt when he realized that Chuck is on their their quick dial. Yeah. Not only is he on their quick dial, he directly intervened helped them yep there's another version of you that doesn't matter the winchesters don't exist in the apocalypse universe but there's another michael in the prime universe how relevant are you yeah it's so does he care about you then and in many ways it ties back to this this a little nod to how they felt when they realized adam was a half brother john went off and started a whole new family without them yeah Oh, he and come, abandoned just, them. That's just pimp status, you know, though. Well, yes, he gets, but he gets a pass. It's <laughs> he pimp gets status. He gets, a, he gets a pimp status pass. But that same a thing, concept, Thomas. a pimp, a hot pass, and a pimp status. Yeah, pass? Pimp st- <laughs> hot passes and pimp status <laughs> passes. It's a thing on Rain Man Digital. But I liked that little touch that what Chuck did to Michael in some ways is a parallel to what John did to them. Not, yeah. not the same. Chuck's more of a dick. But you and we've talked at I, length I that John, you know, is a human and things happen. But it, it, you could kind of see some of the similarities there. But seeing why he wants to burn everything to the ground until he catches up with Chuck—that's that's some Shakespearean level vengeance right there. And I loved that scene. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And honestly, dude, Dean being essentially the villain of the season is amazing. Like, what a great. Gimmick. Oh, right. What a great gimmick that they're actually making work. The, the fact that the writers knew that they can't just make Dean Winchester MIA. Right. For the season. So the way they're bouncing back and forth with it works. Dude, it is so cool because Jensen is such a capable actor and to see him be able to play the villain essentially while at the same time playing himself, himself is just a fucking treat for the fans, dude. And it's just a it's a win-win because Sometimes we don't always like the villains. They don't really connect with us. But guess what? If you make Jensen Ackles the villain, everyone's going to connect with it. And then you make it so personal and intimate. It all comes together and works. And I honestly think this is probably the most interesting villain that we've had in a while because of how personal his issues are now. That was made clear in this episode. Yeah, I will say it feels more intimate than you know lucifer was is the villain we all know that but you know but lucifer wasn't really i mean dude has he really been a true villain on his own since season five 
Or uh, since seasons the, one through five? Season 13 a little bit. Yeah. A, a bit. But not 11 and 12. Yeah. It was more just, hey, guys, we don't know what we're doing. Ah, Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> but Amara, the darkness, was more of a concept. Amara was kind I of a misunderstood yeah. entity. You know, mm-hmm. Abaddon was kind of a villain. Dick Roman. But she gets you know, a hot pass. You liked Dick Roman. Mm-hmm. He gets a pimp pass, he I'm sure. Pass. Yeah. But you're right. We didn't really have this kind of true, true villain uh, character. And it being Jensen Ackles is a cherry on top. And and I got to say, I loved his performance in this episode. The first couple of iterations of seeing him as Michael felt a little wooden, which comes with, you know, I think he's finding the he's character. trying to figure it out. It's new to him. But in this episode, he felt like Michael before it felt like Dean trying to be somebody else a little bit. Yeah, this felt like this is a completely different person I'm talking to. I mean, I I mean, even, you know, coming from the humor side, you know, I love bad guys when they're oh, assholes, yeah, they're, right? It's the best. And when he when he like did the Castillo voice and said, I gripped you tight and ripped Rope you into perdition. I started, I rewound yeah. it and I laughed so it's fucking good. hard, dude. I was like, that is so good. I just liked it, loved his arrogance where it's like, we've got him captured. He's like, keep telling yourself that. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's something that I think all the time when I'm watching. Like, you guys are going to... He's not... Yeah. Don't trust those cuffs. And he's over there voicing his own, yeah, no, you're not. I can break out whenever I want kind of, like, attitude. I love that. But, yeah, it absolutely was amazing to see that. Now, the one thing, though, while we did get so many answers from that, which I fucking loved, it did bring up a few more questions from one single comment that Michael said. And that it seems that God is unique. He's the creator of all these universes. However, death is not. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, yeah, I do like that they're putting the the importance back on Chuck. And I think again, that's the reason why they. Went I think this that's round. more important than death being yes, a primary sure. figurehead. But Michael himself says that they locked away their death. And enslaved the Reapers. I got, I, that's one of those moments where I got chills. I was like, ooh. That's fucking dark, t- ooh, first of all. Cool. It shows how powerful he is, too, because in, in Lucifer kind of controlled death in season five for a period of time. And so we he, know it's possible. And he essentially enslaved Reapers as well. Right. The same thing kind of yeah. happened. I liked that parallel because it shows how similar the worlds were yeah. until that apocalypse event. But at the same time, we know that Death back in season five had said that one day he'd reap God, making him seem as powerful, if not more powerful, perhaps, than God himself. Now, there's a couple excuses for this. One, you know, the show is very different at season five. They didn't have the canon and, and lore and the responsibilities yeah. that they have now. That is the concrete answer we can always go back to. But as lore whores and fans of the show, we have to kind of come up with our own justification. It's If death is a separate entity throughout the universe, is perhaps death is more of a concept of a force of nature, which is a little bit backed by the idea we see with Billy becoming the new incarnate of death. After the death of the original one in season 10, the next Reaper to die takes up the mantle. It seems like Maybe we've been looking at this the wrong way. If death is something beyond the food chain, more as a simple cosmic force, because we know light is God and darkness is Amara, 
order and chaos, destruction and creation and life, death seems to be more of this ever-present balance. Balance, I get. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. This scale, the the fulcrum upon which life and destruction, heaven and or uh, Amara and Chuck are forever balanced between. And is it different than what I think they were going with originally? Originally, but at yes. the same time. Again, going into 14 seasons, there needs to be some changes. And this is one of those changes that I feel works. Yeah. And it doesn't clash with other narrative avenues that they've gone throughout the years. It just, if anything, it just, it clarifies so much. Because as they start to introduce these things, okay, for example, it, it, despite how we feel about this or how it's interpreted, I, mm-hmm. I feel like dab and the rest of the writers took i I feel like they're taking broad strokes purposefully purposely Mm -hmm. to clarify the hierarchy because we understand understand now that god is the creator of the other worlds he is a he is unique and just one right right okay right death is one of many and is not unique we also know from previous episodes this season what part the cosmic entity plays. Okay. True. So all of this for, to me, it feels like they are purposely adding clarity to lore that was dangerously becoming murky and convoluted. And now they're shedding some light on it and it, it creates a big giant question mark. Why are they doing it now? There's always that why. And I right. feel like this is building towards something bigger. Before you introduce something new, when you're working in mm-hmm. television, before you introduce a new concept that may convolute your lore <laughs> even more when you're dealing with a show like this, you must start to clarify first. Clarify the old so that people understand exactly how everything works. Then you introduce the new mystery. Mm-hmm. And at this moment, season 14, episode 10, they decide to clarify Chuck's purpose death's purpose the reaper's purpose why well they're they're getting ready to introduce something fucking big it's gonna be mark my words it's gonna be big and i think this does play into our theory from episode seven unhuman nature with the idea the concept of abraxas being the lord of all things because you're right if you set it up what was becoming a, a miasma of questions and where's the hierarchy and what is who who's in charge of what right is now the cosmic entity controls death of eternal things essentially god and amara are two sides of a coin that created these multiverses create the universes but something had to come before and oh and death itself is this balanced force that just all things must end whether it's chaos and order destruction and life there has to still be this constant balance to keep the scales even essentially therefore death can be a concept beyond the realms which sounds like some lord of the Rings shit now but <laughs> well but we're think, getting there i think <laughs> give us a couple more time <laughs> parallel dimension jumps more and more dude. epic what and... if they jump through a dimension then gimli's there like a dwarf oh, I'd be okay with, with the that. battle axe and everything and smeagol exactly yeah oh that'd be cool sam would nerd the fuck out you know it too but all of this could still fit within the realm of our theory with Abraxas. Yeah. They've laid breadcrumbs before adding this, this character, this concept of power 
these tiny little ideas, but now you're right. They're clearing the table. They're, they're brushing off and restructuring things. Yeah, it's, it's pretty so obvious. That it's very obvious as to yeah. where things fall. Because if they dropped Abraxas and this concept on top of the audience just as it is, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's like God too, and don't worry about it. The, the empty doesn't know it. Yeah. Whatever. You would be like, be like the fuck is that? Spaceballs. You're like, who? Why? You'd be <laughs> so fucking confused because there's just too many things going on. But well, and then you'd need some sort of, you know, poor exposition where it's like, I am a Braxis, creator of all, in the beginning. And yeah. then it's like five pages of him talking or it talking. It, it, the bulk which of, would suck yes because the bulk of the audience would be freaking out how does this work or or now who the hell is this guy and, and <laughs> the rather fuck. yeah and just like you mentioned rather than doing an info dump because that's what would happen if they didn't start clarifying things or you get some schlocky exposition in a single in, the beginning. in a single episode yeah we don't want that so this idea works much better what they're doing explaining and clarifying how everything works they're laying down the path of something new. And if they're doing that, like this idea of Abraxas, they have to they have to clarify because it's just going to feel if we were stressing if it was hurting our brains trying to figure out where God factors in, mm-hmm. where Mara factors in, where death factors in, then there's an issue there. Not I don't feel like it's ruining the the story necessarily, but now that we're getting to this point, you need that clarification in order to yeah. move forward un, unhindered by past narrative. Well, I mean, look at look at this show before or past right? war, I should say. Look at Supernatural throughout its run. You had demons were badass and had all these powers, and then Yellow Eyes is introduced at the very end of season one. And he doesn't have the same weaknesses as other demons. The tables have changed. We've introduced a new threat. Yeah. You remove Azazel from the board and you introduce Lilith and going to hell and the fact that demons believe in Lucifer. You wipe that clean with Dean's death and you introduce angels and the apocalypse. Lilith is taken off the board. Lucifer shows up. It it, it just keeps going with Leviathans and Leviathan Cass and the darkness, which leads to Amara. All these things they tidy up one and they finish it here, set up an order, if you will, of an established system, and then they introduce this new concept. And I'm I'm excited. I don't want to like get too much ahead of ourselves no, in let's some go ways. Ahead. That's okay. It's too late. But it feels like why would you drop that name? And Supernatural has never not researched their shit. Our theory thoroughly. Sound. Our theory sound, Thomas. It's just it works, dude. It's so good yeah, on paper. I, I wouldn't co-sign it or even have brought it up if if I didn't because re- I don't like to be wrong. Well, yeah. Let's just be clear about that. I don't like to be wrong. So I, and we've called a fair number of things all the way back to season ten. Yeah, but we haven't hit a, a really good one in a while. Since season 10. Yeah, so <laughs> like, it's time. And I think Abraxas will be our win. Oh, man. How how great would that be? Just gonna it's going to think on that for man. a second. Especially with what they're doing with everything and how emotional and just... I, I want to say it, it, it feels like supernatural. It does. It just feels it like does. supernatural. And, and the last couple seasons, they've been struggling. And, and to see just how con- continually... how. Each episode gets just gets stronger and stronger. Builds as, and builds and builds. Yeah, as we move along. It, it'll be great. I, I think there, that theory truly has some legs. Now, outside of moving past Abraxas just a little bit, but sticking to some of that, the the 
one scene within that that little mini moment within that scene that spoke a lot of volumes was how Castiel reacted to Michael's statement. Him saying he that a bit surprised, right? He, exactly. Michael yeah. saying he doesn't God doesn't care. Chuck doesn't care. He just writes these words and moves on. That really did seem to hit Castiel pretty hard saying, no, that that doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? I liked that moment. It's that bit of an existential crisis, which really does fit this idea of nihilism within the show. You know, Lucifer in season 12 got this way, but Castiel has always kept the faith, not necessarily in Chuck, but within the Winchesters or the greater good level of meaning. And with Michael really kind of undercutting that in this season, I could see that coming into see that coming into play later with Jack's potential downfall, if you will. If nothing matters, if Castiel knows that the world is just a plaything, a, a forgotten draft by a, an uncaring God, how do you convince Jack? How do you convince anyone? to keep fighting for it at a certain point. My question for you, Thomas, is do you think there's something there with how... Is he telling the truth, you mean? Well, no, no. How Castile reacted, because he looked genuinely shocked when Michael said that. Like, he was con- like he was thinking about what he said. Like, no, no, mm-hmm. no, that isn't true. Right. Oh, But there are truth behind those words. Chuck said pretty much the exact same thing mm-hmm. during season 11. And he was even getting ready to end the world before Metatron convinced him otherwise. So, but, but I think it's all about context opposed to just factual truths. So that being said, is that going to matter down the road? Was Castiel not present when this was stated? I can't remember. Uh, I honestly can't remember. I remember him telling Metatron, which to which obviously Castiel wasn't present. I believed he told the rest of them that Amara kept coming in and destroying their worlds, but maybe I'm wrong. We'll need the fans to point that out specifically for us. But it, it it was. Do you think it was purposeful or just, hey, it worked for the moment in the episode? Do you I think, think there's something both. more there. I think it's Michael trying to get in his head, trying to well, get you, under his skin, given, obviously. But Castiel reacting the way he did and the way Amanda Tapping made sure they captured that look, that reaction. Do you think there's something there that's going to pan out later in the season dealing with the idea that God doesn't care what happens to his worlds because he just moves on. I think so because I could easily see it being if Chuck or if Jack has some kind of dark moment, right? And he starts to go down that path asking some, his own nihilistic questions of nobody cares to hell with. That's always been supernatural's thing. It doesn't matter what God's doing. It doesn't matter where family, where blood ends and family begins. The people who care about you are the ones that matter. It doesn't matter whether or not God gives a shit about the universe. We care about you. What's the general consensus online? Do people think Chuck Chuck is an asshole? Because I feel like he's not an asshole. And that's why I played that intro at the beginning of our show today where Chuck explains, hey, at some point you need to take the training wheels off. I I used to be hands on, but it didn't matter. Like I, I was enabling you. I was enabling my creations and I decided to watch from the background and and see how well you guys do on your own. And from where I'm looking or where I'm sitting, you have made things better. And that might come into the whole chosen ones might come into play instead of being completely hands-on. He does much like if you read the Bible, much what God does, he instills certain prophets, important Mm -hmm. figures in history that will uh, make sure his purpose is made clear. 
I've never looked at Chuck as an asshole. I think he had a fair point. I think he's got an ego and pride, you know, the pride of the father kind of thing right. oh, yeah. as, is very evident throughout the interpretation of Chuck. But I've never thought of him as a genuine asshole. Michael no. is an asshole. Lucifer, Dick Roman, they're assholes. Metatron. Metatron. Well, Metatron's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> he's not an asshole, though. He's a douche. He's a douchebag. <laughs> like, but I've never looked at Chuck as truly this much of a uh, douche because why would he care to try again and again and again? Yeah. If he was an asshole, he wouldn't do that. Yeah. And Chuck said chosen once. And for all we know, and Nicole Clark in the in our Facebook chat room mm-hmm. posted that there could be other chosen ones in other alternate realities. And I think we had mentioned that at some point as well in a yeah. discussion. I don't know if it was a Patreon show or a regular show, but that would make sense as well. That possibly he's not just leaving these worlds to fend for themselves. He's leaving behind people. People to do the job. To do the and job. And take care of themselves. Yeah. And I would make that would make sense. I think you know that whole. You're, as he said, you can't just keep intervening. You're not a parent. You're enabling at mm-hmm. a certain point. Leaving behind chosen ones makes sense. So could there be some truth to that? Maybe I think that'll be more of a last few episodes. It's intriguing kind of thing, but it's exciting. And that's that's the point, right? Exactly. It, it has point. to be intriguing, and it has to want. It has to make you want more, and that's exactly what that whole aspect did. Yeah. Now. The the episode starts out with Dean's little family family dream moment, which I am gonna I'm gonna take a moment and pat ourselves on the back for this episode because we did call a couple of things from the mid season finale that actually did happen, but in a good way. The season has been great about its narrative structure, its focus, its attention to detail and attention to lore all of which have led to satisfying conclusions where we're like, wow, that made sense. I like that they touched on that. The biggest one I think with this episode was calling on that ability of an angel to leave the host in a bit of a dream world like Gadriel did to Sam in season nine. And the fact that Michael did that to Dean in this episode, not only did it show he was learning from past mistakes, but it was a nice touch to the seasons prior, to the show prior. Another reason I still I feel that Steve Yoki has done a great job as a writer because he goes back and looks at what has happened, what's established, and what's worked. Seeing that little bit there was nice. But at the same time, <laughs> seeing Dean's life, his dream life, was fucking sad. Well, that's what I put in the show notes. It's, <laughs> it's pathetically basic. And yeah, but it works too. Well, it makes it that much better, in my opinion. I feel like the the idea that the good life to him is running a a seedy shithole bar, <laughs> hunting named and Rockies with like, friends. You like the moose head yeah. at Rockies? That's kind of on the nose, right? Yeah, I mean, his ideas of happiness is just drinking and having a good time with his family and friends and hunting. It's yeah. morbidly sad, but ultimately, I feel like it works. For Dean, the, this mm-hmm. this current version of Dean, because if you read up on stories, which I'm always fascinated by PTSD stories uh, from for psychological reasons. If you read up on stories about soldiers returning from war that suffer from severe PTSD, many times this is exactly what they want, a more simpler life. And that says a lot about where Dean is currently as a person, there may even be a bit of potential foreshadowing of how it will all end. Mm-hmm. If 
if that's a big if with a swollen asterisk were to get a happy ending i can see this actually being how it ends seeing Mm -hmm. dean serving drinks at a bar named rockies yeah well, the thing is, I, I liked it for a couple of reasons. I know, and I, I did see this. Some fans were, like, super excited about the bar and him running it because of Jensen Ackles' actual real-world bar that he owns, his family's business. Eh. I think that's kind of like a nice nod. But what I like about this is it does feel like so much what Dean is, who he is as a person. He always went to the bars throughout the 14 years of the show. That's where he's comfortable. That's where he has fun. And that feels like home. And more importantly, that was the only semblance of home they had for a little bit. And I loved the idea of the Roadhouse bar from season two where Ellen and Joe were. Yeah. It feels reminiscent of that old Kripke era where together with people that matter to you rather than what you have yeah. by any means. So Dean wanting the simpler life, the older than what you have by yeah. any means. So Dean wanting the simpler life, the old roadhouse vibe to it felt great. And the idea that hunting was still a part of their life felt so much more natural than him with Lisa and Ben or Sam with, Oh, dog lady. I can never remember her name from season eight. That wasn't that, that didn't feel like it worked because in truth, being completely out of hunting just isn't an option anymore. And they've kind of made that clear in more recent episodes that this is hunting is a part of them. Yes. For better or worse, this is who they are. And I, I feel like the writers over the last few years have kind of allowed Sam and Dean to kind of come to terms with that, that this is, this is, this is them. That's who they are. Yeah. That's happiness. And that's why I kind of liked that. Even though his simple life, his happy place was in a bar serving drinks, it still had hunting involved. Yeah. And I I felt like that was a powerful message of their own resolve that this is, this is who they are. They don't have to run from, from the hunting life to try and find a normal life. Yeah. It's about incorporating what is your life, who you are with something that me is meaningful. But it works. But you know what, Thomas, it also works with the idea that the idea. Okay. You go back to season five. Okay. Getting Sam and Dean out of hunting mm-hmm. made sense back then, back then. But now so much time has passed, you know, yeah. another almost 10 years has passed since then. And if they were to continue to lead our heroes down this direction of of hunting, it would feel a bit insincere with yeah. what Kripke had set out with the fact that they both wanted this normal life at some point. But now, 10 years later, people change drastically in 10 years to see that they have 26 become, to 40. Yeah. Very big change. Yeah. I know I have my yeah. my own idea in life and and what I want and what I want to do with my with my future has completely changed from the time I was in my 20s and and 30s. So for them to to do a slow burn type change over the last 10 years to where they understand that this is a part of their life, mm-hmm. that this is their destiny, and this is their choice as well. I feel like all of this makes sense and it works now. And and it just makes us feel better about watching them week in and week out. If you were to watch them week in and week out for these last 10 years and they're still trying to get out of hunting. One be, day, man. It, it would be a little silly. Yeah. And it would also just be heartbreaking. Like, Jesus Christ, these guys keep doing things they just years. don't fucking want to do. Yeah. So I think this decision that there is that resolve, I feel ultimately works for the show now because yeah. of – 
the fact that the show's not ending. Well, and the thing you is, know? too, I, you know, seeing we've talked about that they would never go down. The show would end one of two ways. Riding out into the sunset, always fighting, always hunting, always trying to save people or go down bloody. Dean said as much himself. But I do think that if we try to imagine old man Dean and old man Sam. Is this a new um, sequel to uh, Wolverine? Yes, it is. Old man Dean. I totally can see him beard, gray beard and all behind the bar, shotgun cocked and ready for any would be monster that comes in trying to fuck with him. You know, it, it feels natural. Lisa and Ben felt good at the time because that's what Dean wanted. But but he's gotten so much more of what he wants now with Mary coming back and, and a realization of who he really is. And like you said, your life changes so much between 26 or at that time, like 30, 31 and 40. Now we, no one wants to admit that, but it's true. So I think that was a very nice touch for, for where he's at right now. And it made sense as to why he'd want to stay there in his head. Yeah. The one thing that didn't really make a lot of sense, but was still great to see was the return of Pamela Barnes who a smoking hot and B, damn, wow, what, 10 years later? Yeah. 11 years later? Yeah. Dude. Working out keeps you young. Still, it does. Yeah. Exercise, ladies and, and gentlemen. Yeah, both. Everybody. And all of the above. It it seemed, it didn't feel out of place necessarily, but Pamela, while a fun character, and they had some serious guilt over what happened to yeah. her, didn't feel like she would be the best fit. You know, could she be a manifestation of Dean's guilt? Because of the hand he had in yeah. her death, the, the fact that so many things happened to her that they would use that as a way to get Dean to snap out of it, possibly. But it made more sense to me if it was Joe. They always had a thing. It would make sense that they were like a couple that ran this bar together. You know, he had guilt over her death, too. She was taken too young. But... You know, concrete answers could be no, they just couldn't get some other actress to show up at that time for filming schedule. You don't think there's any other reason other than, hey, we've seen her before and she kind of fits. She does fit. We have seen her before. It's a nice touch. And Dab is a showrunner who likes to harken back to the yeah. old Kripke era. But as far as actual narrative symbolism Outside of some guilt, I'm not really feeling it. Or the fact that like they reference, hey, she was blinded. She shouldn't be walking around normally. And then that changed. And then it's like, no, she also died. And then that was the second change. From that standpoint yeah. of how to click the lights on in Dean's head, that made sense. But greater symbolism, at least with the first watch, I'm not seeing it right now. Maybe yeah. as the season goes on, it might come to light more. See, my own, my brain started speculating a lot just in about the internal reasons as to why a writer would choose Pamela Barnes. And a part of me went to the guilt aspect. Okay. Well, perhaps Dean knowing partially that he's in a dream, maybe subconsciously mm -hmm. he gave himself a, a way to remember what is real and what is not. Right. I mean, much like what we've seen in, um, another TV show recently, uh, the Stephen King TV show on Hulu, where, the woman oh. put chess pieces around her Castle home. Castle Rock. Yeah. Castle Rock. So she can, un she'll, so she'll remember. When this is a dream versus reality. A, yeah. You but, know, and another thing again, too. That, that may be going really, really down the be. rabbit hole, but. Well, I'm about to take another <laughs> jump down the rabbit hole because part of it could be too. If we look at season two, what, what should be and or what should be and what never can be. I can't remember the exact title. What is and what never should be with okay. the Jin and the memory. 
Do you remember that one? Yeah, hold on. Nicole Clark says she was there to distract him. She always flirted with him, and she even said he just likes to flirt. It's more relaxed with him. Okay, yes. I I mean, that's the obvious. Well, that feeds into what I was about to say. because Because that's the obvious, but there's tons of women that Dean has been involved with in some aspect, whether it was romantic or guilt-ridden relationships that he could have also used if Michael used to, to keep him distracted. What's the but one Pamela? What's the one way you notice when something's a dream narratively usually? That's when it's ha- when it's too perfect. If he's happy no, with I Joe. Like perfect. <laughs> but if he was happy with Joe Man, and Sam and Dean were there right now. What's and, going on? And Bobby's it's because there you're awesome, too. Michael. See, that's how I just Oh about god. <laughs> Damn. I think Pamela made sense in that she he had that guilt about her mm. and he liked to flirt with her, but it kept his life open and it was, she was fun. She was a good friend to have. But if Joe was there and he had like the, or Lisa and had the happy life, it'd be a little too perfect and his brain might pick it up. He even says this shitty little bar is the best thing I've ever had. It's not a, a huge bar that's constantly busy. He doesn't even have any fucking patrons. He's got a guy who wants to murder him who he's pretending to be asleep. Yeah. So maybe Joe or someone else might have made it too perfect, whereas Pamela was was this level of realism that it brought to it. Kathy Taylor writes, it was a shared memory between Sam and Dean, so Sam could bring Dean back. I, I understand that as well, but none of this satiates my appetite for needing to know exactly why it was yeah. Pamela Barnes. <laughs> because it could have been anybody, it right? It could have been it anybody. It could have been anybody. There's tons of people they have shared memories with. Aaron, I, Joe, I love all these Bobby ideas, but there. it's limitless. That, that, yeah. And the reason why I'm asking, not female because, version of Castiel. Yeah, I mean, and not because it. I don't. I don't think it's bad writing by any means. It just no. It's just curious when you write something. There's, there's a, a reason. reason why. Yeah. So I want to know why Steve Yoki chose. He needs Pamela to tweet Barnes. us and let us know. Yeah, why. please. Um, hit up Barons. Let him. Let him tell us. Tell please. him, and then he'll tell us. <laughs> well, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> It's so stupid. <laughs> no matter what, though, the dream concept was really cool. It had a lot of that David Lynch vibe to it. The the, the idea, too, that this is how Michael brought his own downfall was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Okay, Nicole, I, I like this one. This satiates my appetite for needing to know just a bit, just a little bit, Thomas. I'm very hard to please. Okay. <laughs> uh, Nicole Clark writes, I don't know. I think Joe comes more... Uh, carries more trauma and they said he thrives in trauma. Um, That's a fucking it. great point. Pamela was safe. Pamela didn't have too many problems. He wasn't fully responsible yeah. for Pamela. He always felt terrible and about what happened. That between, might, that's true. There were feelings between him and Joe. So that's the trauma aspect. That makes sense. Huh? Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm a little okay. happier now. Okay, I'll accept that right I'll, now. I'll take that one. Um. Uh, Brad Joe writes, I'll admit, I forgot who she was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the dream concept, let's talk about that a bit, how okay. Michael was trapped within it. That was kind of unique. That was kind of cool. At first, I had a little bit of problems with it, but then I looked back. Because we've had a lot of dream type episodes before. Yeah. And I was hoping it wasn't going to be more the same, and it was not. When I at first first I was like, okay, really, your brain's gonna hold with this most powerful entity in some locked away prison. But then I look back at so much of the other elements of supernatural, and a wall is what kept Solus Sam's yep. horrible memories at bay. 
a wall is uh, keeping them suppressed is what allowed Sam to control Lucifer and open the cage at the end of season five. Yep. You know, Yellow Eyes crushing John Winchester and keeping him locked away while he possessed him. It, it made sense that the the fact that the human can overcome this greater being and lock them away. And I like the kind of Icarus hubris that Michael had where he's like, I can do whatever the fuck I want attitude and how his own trap for Dean ended up trapping himself. Yeah. In the end, that's really how he was defeated. It's his own arrogance thinking that Dean is nothing more than a gnat because when Jack said Dean will defeat you (laughs) with pure confidence, my Michael looked for a moment. He looked a little bothered by that statement because he has been in Dean's head. Right. He knows that Dean and Sam have done a lot of that shit. Have conquered some pretty intense OP villains. Yeah. So, when Jack said that, I think it stung a bit, but then his arrogance got the best of him and said, hey, Dean's a gnat. And ultimately, that's why he he lost to Dean was because he underestimated the Winchesters. But I really like that. And in that moment I taught, I spoke at the beginning of the show about nerd chills. That was one of those moments when Dean trapped Michael in the cooler or mm-hmm. the, the freezer, whatever. Yeah. And he just says, I'm the cage. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and you know, if this was on HBO, he would have said motherfucker at the end. You know it. Because I was right. waiting for that. Yeah. Didn't it sound like it was I, missing? Dude, Something was missing. When he so said, I'm the cage. Older, he should have said, I'm the cage, bitch. Or I'm the cage, motherfucker. It should have been, been good. If it was earlier seasons, it would have been bitch. It would have been. And the thing is, as they, they've gotten older, as the show goes on and the audience gets a little bit older, I'm like, dude, just start swearing, okay? You're not in Sunday school. You're going through things that you would be like, motherfucker, oh, yeah. a lot more. Let's just, you know, let's pay that fine every once a season. I I would, I would donate. Hey, if, if, Supernatural, if, yeah, if Supernatural needs help from the fans to... To pay for fines. And we'll happily do so. You know what? Open up a Patreon or a Kickstarter and uh, crowdfund. With what we pay for creation. With what we pay for creation entertainment, we can afford that fine. Yeah. (laughs) My question is this. Because they kind of restructured, didn't change, but kind of restructured some lore pertaining to how you can deal with a possession. Mm -hmm. Is this going to change the game a bit? Now that Dean... They kind of understand that, hey, if it's in my mind, I can control it if I'm aware, right? If you're aware, yeah. Okay, so does this mean they can also trap demons and other angels that may possess them in the future? Oh, maybe. I mean, now that... See, the thing is, demons don't need consent. No, but if you have the power to control your mind, can you not then just trap whatever entity is in? Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. I kind of like it. new skills. I kind of like it. It does become a bit op in a, a little way. bit but hey look angels and demons been there done that i think they should come up with a a way to finally do away with possession well, so if that is what they're doing a way to kind of counteract mm-hmm. it from a, a practical way like this it actually makes sense i i think i might be okay with that well at the same time though we've seen from not only just how he was reacting in the mirror and and the trailer for the upcoming episode but what billy said every way this ends is him breaking out it's not a permanent solution. No, not it, at all. It's going to take its toll mentally, it's a physically. It's it's. Let me put let me put some duct tape over it, and that'll hold it for a couple of days. Brad Joe in the chat room says, "Chopping heads off, okay? Saying fuck, you gone too far, <laughs> right? That's America. 
Violence, A-okay, but naughty words and sex? No, no, please, not sex. Sex is bad. Was that a boob? That'll be a million dollars. Blood and gore, give it to us. He stabbed him through the eye socket and the blood pooled on the ground beneath him. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, but a, oh but it's a, for children? Yeah, it's fine. But a nip slip or a dick oh! slip? Oh! The Think of the children. The horror. Yeah, fucking stupid. <laughs> it really is when you, th- when you put it into context like that. Now... Speaking of Michael uh, and and talking to one thing you said was talking to Jack. That was the thing. Jack is the thing that we kind of need to talk about at this point. Yeah. The Michael trying a different tactic rather than just brute force. It it felt reminiscent of Lucifer, but still very, very different. It felt more strategic to me. Like Lucifer. Dickish. Lucifer is manipulative, but I think it's just a part of him. It's not very contemplative. Do you get what I'm saying? His manipulation is a reaction. Michael is Julius Caesar. And he's playing mind games to divide and conquer. Lucifer has never done what Michael did in this episode. Literally making everyone doubt themselves. Everyone. Jack, Castiel, Sam, Dean. The thing, too, is that Michael lies and tries to get you to doubt yourself. Yes. Like a traditional villain. What I loved about Lucifer is that he tells the truth that no one else wants to hear and convinces you that he's right. And I think that takes a little bit more nuance. I love that about that character. But in many ways, Michael here is more of a brute force. It's Mm -hmm. more of a hammer. Whereas Lucifer was a scalpel in some ways for this analogy. But you're right. He, He was playing mind games with people. The biggest victim of which is absolutely Jack. Yeah, for sure. You and know, I think that's fitting because he he despises Jack because you got to remember he does. they were warring each other. They were direct yeah, he's enemies. Than he's yeah. strong by a wide margin, which Michael has never felt that before. Yeah. So for for wanting to he tried the sugar sugar, you know, the honey versus vinegar in the last episode, but now he's like fuck it, I don't care. I don't need you. I won. So he's going back to crushing him. And Jack really was affected by Michael's lie. He's still naive. He's still a kid and he is struggling with a lot of things, primarily insecurities because he doesn't have his powers. He doesn't know who he is. He's hanging on by a thread of magic. Essentially, it's the only reason he's alive. And this constant feeling of helplessness, Michael deliberately preyed on. And putting those little seeds of doubt within jack it could be the the start of something very very bad moving forward that's that's the idea i got the vibe yeah we've talked about since season 13 that jack might go down an anakin skywalker route and telling jack that he is a burden is that seed of doubt or it feels very much like anakin the best way to lie is to rely on partial truths yeah. And there is some partial truth to that. He He's not a burden. I, I don't think that's how Dean and Sam would explain it or Castiel. Especially with what they went through to bring him back. But he's definitely a risk having him around. Yeah. Especially now that he has no powers. Yeah. So he feels useless. He feels helpless. And that desire for power to protect the ones he loved. Because if you think back, if he hadn't been naive and let Lucifer in at all, he'd still have his grace. He could have killed Michael right away, and the whole thing would have been done with. He feels guilty in some ways because if he hadn't made some of those naive decisions, 
the people he cares about wouldn't be in the position they are now. He wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have to use his own soul to keep himself keep himself alive. So seeing a, a, a situation, a scenario in which he could say, fuck human fears is that feeling of helplessness and that desire to control something. And it may be to control something and it may be dangerous, but it's his soul. It's his life. You could see why he would risk certain things to protect people. He did it in this episode, burning up some of his soul to kill that handful of monsters in the room with them. That that's, you know, that right there kind of reminded me of Anakin in episode two, when he just kills the sand people. Now, Anakin's is more about a vengeance at that time, but still it was theoretically protecting someone he loved. It's so funny how we think a lot alike because when Jack looked down when Michael said that and Jack was thinking the first thought I got was when Anakin is thinking whether or not he should behead Count Dooku. It's not the Jedi way. It was the exact same reaction and that just makes me scared to death that Jack is going down that route because of and I like the idea that if this does happen let's Mm -hmm. say he starts to do this because he needs to feel like he's contributing He's willing or, to, or a situation forces his hand and right. he needs to defend himself. Well, first off, let's not pretend that Sam and Dean have not done the exact same thing. Oh, fucking every week. So Jack is a Winchester. <laughs> I mean, he's he's acting just like Sam, Dean, and Castiel would. Uh, so it, it's In their very, earlier years especially. Yeah, so it, it makes sense. I'm not mad at him for doing that. I think it works. Or I should say I'm not like disgruntled by that writing aspect. I no. think it works. And no. it, it puts Jack into that position we keep talking about. Even if they don't actually go that route – the idea that they're foreshadowing it works to build that suspense uh, because we can't even can you imagine what a soulless Nephilim would be like? Ugh. That's a mess. Yes. Yeah. And that's the that's the risk that Jack is is taking every time he tries to burn part of his soul away for power. Exactly. That's fucking dark. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's good stuff. So we are going to take just a quick break. It's a library, Thomas. Oh, sorry. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) So now that we're back, 2019, we only have a few episodes left for this entire season. We're halfway through everything. But if you guys want to get more Supernatural The Crossroads every month with the Patreon exclusive shows, head on over to patreon.com where we do retrospective reviews starting with the very first season, some specialty shows, Bonus discussions, additional thoughts, and topics not included in the regular weekly show. By subscribing, you help us maintain the quality of our show and help keep us in the studio, keep the lights on, and keep letting us do more. So head on over to patreon.com slash Digital and subscribe. Now, one of the other things that we referenced last show was the talk of Billy the Reaper. We've been talking about Billy death since season 13 and her message of you can't be jumping through and fucking with this house of cards and Michael coming through was obviously the biggest result of that. And we, we, we wanted to see how that was going to play out. And in this episode ending how it did with a what's in the box moment. Yeah. Was fan fucking tastic. And I didn't that moment feel like the old days. It did. And I have to give so much praise to uh, Lisa Berry because it it 
she blinks but it doesn't feel like she does she's <laughs> she, fucking terrifyingly intense every time like yeah. she just studied i can't ever remember the gentleman's name who played death originally she just studied his performance and said i'm gonna have this just cold no emotion in every way but the way she says things still gets those emotions across i fucking loved that and it was a night it was nice to see because at first with that calculated risk that the reaper took to teleport them out of the penthouse suite you know i at first i'm like oh shit was that death or was it god or could it be a braxis or something more powerful because it scared the the reaper but having it be billy made sense because she flat out says she took a calculated risk and it's she's such an intense character but it was not a moment of which was wasted in this scene knowing that she had to do that to protect essentially the entire plane of existence from michael's wrath the the, the only way in which the story ended any differently is if she took that risk and that leads all of us because we know that all those stories of how Dean could have died have now changed to one of two. What the fuck does she know? Yeah. Well, what the fuck is in that book? The fact that you have a, a character that for the most part doesn't want to get involved, doesn't really care for Sam and Dean, but she now has access to the bigger picture. She understands that they are important in the grand scheme of things. But the fact you have this character willing to break the rules and take that calculated risk, as she said, that gives all of us an oh shit. Because Uh that goes against everything we've seen Billy do up to this point. The only time she ever interferes, if you can call it interfering, uh, is if it's going to mess something up. Greater. Right. And I... I (laughs) I do like the fact that they have Reapers. I forgot. They have Reapers keeping tabs on them because they don't want them to fuck things up. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it's funny, but at the same time, it just, it creates a lot of dread. Oh, absolutely. As what, it's intended what, what to. What can there possibly be that would be Billy worth- knows that's worth running a calculated risk and telling and giving Dean the book? As hey, here's to, how you're going to die. It yeah. sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but what's in that book, man? What, do you have any theories on Ugh. what's what he has to do? So what his thing, other destiny is? Because he looked like he was about to cry when he read it. One thing I thought of, I had two ideas. One, because we kind of think or assume that Lucifer might be coming back in some kind of new souped up way to fight this new Michael. Maybe we have to recreate the apocalypse Maybe we have to let a lot of people die. Maybe he has to fight his brother, the thing he fought so hard to never do. Yeah, I'm. I, that's kind of where I'm going. That, that with was it. my first take on it. Yeah, it's something dealing with Sam. It, it has it, to be because he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yep. Sam has always been the thing that he won't cross that line. He'll do anything to protect him. So Sam seemed like the first and most obvious thing that would make him dread and and show horror like he had on his face. When he read that book. But we're also messing with free will. We're messing with free will. And Dean and Sam have the ability to, you know, kind of make their own, their own destiny. Although at the same time, the last few years have, have, they kind of been reworking that whole thing. Not necessarily retconning the concept of team free will, but Mm -hmm. showing that their free will is. In fate or intrinsically tied. Yes. 
The yeah. other thing I thought of was actually Ryan's theory of Sam and Dean yep. must forever be separated. That's what I thought. The too. only way to stop the world from burning from Michael is to sacrifice yourself in a way in which he cannot hurt anyone. What does that look like? Whether that's something that keeps them on different ends of dimensions for all of time to to forever guard against this horror? Maybe. That's the only two things I could think of. Sam being hurt by Dean's hand, a la Apocalypse 2, or Sam losing Sam in a different way in which he can never be right. you know, with his family it, again. Right. And all of that works. For me, that this type of tragedy, or the the foreshadowing of tragedy, I feel like it works. It's it's we've oh, been, yeah. we've been there, done that. As as I say a lot, when it comes to certain things that we fall back on, when it comes to this, this show, Supernatural. But at the same time, things like this work for the show because there's a theme to Supernatural, and with certain themes come patterns. As right. long as you don't retread on exact narrative choices Ground. yeah then I, I think you can still borrow from the past because that's how you create consistency and a tone in your show yeah uh, either way i'm i want to fucking know what's in that book but i don't i'm so glad they didn't show book. us can someone make that and put it on ebay <laughs> it looks pretty cool Dean winchester Dies. leather bound volume that's what it looked like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was or at least the digital version can you guys you know sell us the ipad version <laughs> take that too but either way, what a fucking end to an already roller coaster intense as shit yeah. episode. I mean, fuck. That's all I have to say with that one. All really. right. Good theory. Fuck. Fuck. That, those are my two. Do you have anything different? No, I'm on the. Yeah. It's exactly what I thought, too. It's dark. It's going to be tied to Sam. It, it has, has to, to be. Sam, at first it was Jack in my mind. Something has to do with Jack. But Sam is the focus and Dean is the focus of the show. And Jack and Castiel can play their parts and they can be important. But when it comes down to it. It's always about Sam and Dean. It has to be. Has to be. Yeah. That's the only thing that. That's the only thing that consistently makes sense thematically with the show where it's been, where it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, if Ryan's right, though, I'm going to be mad. Like, I'll be happy, but I'll be you, mad. You don't want him to be right. I don't want him to be, I don't want him to be right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's be honest. A monkey can draw those conclusions. All right. Final thoughts. <laughs> Jesus Christ, a monkey. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's a great theory. <laughs> it's a brilliant theory. That's what pisses me off about it. All right. Final thoughts. Mike, what do you give this episode? Um, I like how they are crafting everyone's personal narratives to parallel each other and at the same time pushing the overall story mythos myth arc forward everyone's story is working together mm -hmm. for the bigger story and that's how you write a season everyone has their part and all their parts feed into each other for the bigger story that's about sam and dane yep. and that's exactly what we're getting and we have been missing that for the last couple seasons yeah we have so that's all i can say and this was an a plus plus I'm going to go with that. Fuck. A++. I, can we do that? Can we do A++ for real? I know I joke, but can we actually, can you write that down in your little book? I'll, you I'll write it down. A++. First plus. ever. First Th ever. Honestly, this might be one of my favorite episodes of the last year and a half. It was a good one. To be one. honest with you. It was a good one. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think we've talked this episode to death. I don't think there was really any weaknesses in it, which is fa- fantastic. Feels great to say that. And holy shit, did we kick off the second half of this season off with a bang. So yeah, A, a plus plus perhaps. Yeah. For this episode. Holy shit. Um, do you want to talk about the next episode? Little, little teaser. Yeah. Why not? For next week. Mm-hmm. So the next episode, directed by Phil Segrecia uh, and written by David Perez, Davy Perez, Dean spends some bonding time with Mary and Donna. Meanwhile, Nick, oh, Nick finally finds the answer he has been searching for, and Sam is left to make an unimaginable choice. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So we're not gonna we're not gonna get any breathers. We're not gonna get any. I don't think there's any time. Which we've talked about this before in in multiple other shows. Fewer episodes, all them. gas, no break. Feels a little bit better. It brings intensity to the show without that kind of lull. I'm curious as to what's going to go on with Dean if he's going to have some kind of like saying goodbye after what he's seen in that book. I'm I'm incredibly interested to see oh, what happens. Do you think that's why he's going to see maybe, Mary? Maybe. I'm incredibly interested to see what the fuck's going on with Nick. Nick has been the tie to our Abraxas theory. He is haunting and perhaps one of the most interesting episode or elements of this season so far seeing what answers any answers he gets has me super fucking excited frankly yeah but as far as sam having to make an unimaginable choice could that have to do with jack or castiel you know anything's possible this season dude Dude, it's so good and again i'm excited well at least we're gonna see mary as well because i honestly okay so sam and dean is they're outnumbered right Right. And Mary and Bobby are still tucked away fucking in some cabin. <laughs> like, come on, Mary and Bobby. When are you going to help out now? It was all fun and it's fine. All, it, you know, Mom, all hands on deck. The entire city of Kansas City is going to be ass fucked by monsters. And she's like, sorry, son, I can't talk to you right now. I'm getting ass fucked too. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bo- I mean, come on, Bobby. Put yeah. your balls away and get you back to work. Your old man balls away. For a half second. Yeah. Can can you guys just stop the romance for a bit? Oh, sorry. I didn't get signal out here. I think, it's, I think it's funny that Mary didn't take a break when she was bone and catch. But with Bobby, she's she's really into it. Yeah. He likes that old singer. <laughs> peen. Uh, just saying it personally. If I was a gay male, I would go for I'd I'd choose catch. Oh, over yeah. Bobby any day. Of the oh, week. yeah. But it's it's still just it's so wrong. Yeah. Wait, just, what? Because it's Mary and Catch? No, Mary it's and Bobby. So right, because that's Mary so and, right. Oh, Mary and Catch is fine. Mary and Bobby is like a betrayal, it feels, so much. Do you think they have to bring it up in the 300th episode? They have to. They have to, right? I know I've been dead for 10 years, but you weren't fucking other people, were you? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's terrible. This is why we don't write for the show. Holy fuck. I would put jokes in there like that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, let's be honest they put jokes in there too they we, do we, remember the limp dick thing yeah, with and, uh gabriel and we forgot to talk about it but three or four episodes ago they had the whole rooster restaurant it was cocks everywhere yeah these dicks they're cocks in fact dean looked at one touched it and then moved it away because he felt uncomfortable <laughs> there, there was a bunch of innuendos they always do so that they do it all the time so and all we do is vocalize it because we, just we can say it out because loud. we're not on a network that that prevents Slaps us, from, us from doing it. Yeah. Yeah. We're okay with sex and cursing. Yep. All right. All right. With that one. Wow. What a premiere. Honestly, fantastic job. By everyone involved. 
excited for the second half of Supernatural Season 14. We will have our quarterly wrap-up here in the next week or so, so stay tuned for that. But thank you all for taking the time to listen to us, and we'll see you all next time. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt.